I am both thrilled and delighted to welcome you back to the App Startup Show. We took a little break due to COVID. And what better way to kick things back off with a man who has gone from selling bras to co-founding one of the most successful apps of all time, Receipt Bank. Meet Alexis Pren. As he put it himself, there is almost nobody in technology who has ever worked in the business end of a factory. This is an entrepreneur who knows what productivity looks like. With this co-founder, they wanted to take away all of the fuss and horrid, dreaded paperwork that accountants get from all of their clients. And after presenting their initial idea to their potential customers, they were told they wanted something to take care of only the invoices, credit notes, and anything to do with costs. The rest is history. With offices now around the world, Receipt Bank has grown into one of the most successful apps of all time, with over 9,000 five-star reviews and has even been featured by Apple under apps they love. I honestly can't tell you just how valuable and inspiring I found this chat. And when you hear the episode for yourself, you'll see why. I urge you to listen to it undistracted, but with a pen and paper to take notes. This episode honestly changes everything. Alexis, welcome to the podcast. Uh, how are you today? I'm, I'm, thank you. I'm, I'm extremely well. Delighted to be with you. Fantastic. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, I'm actually really excited about this uh, episode. I was excited before, but I'm actually even more excited now just based off the conversation we've had pre-show. Uh, so I'm very, very, very excited. So for everyone that's listening in, uh, welcome to the podcast. First of all, we just want to make sure that everybody is safe and well during this time. Uh, it is a very scary time uh, with the virus that is going around. So we hope you're doing well. And we hope that this podcast provides you with some sort of joy uh, and some education during this time. So let's go straight into it because like I said, I'm super excited. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Alexis is the founder of Receipt Bank. It is an app that we use in our business. We've been using for a number of years now. I absolutely love it. It's so damn easy to use. Uh, and we are going to get into it. Uh, but first, let's talk about you, Alexis. So for those of everyone that, that hasn't got a clue who you are, who is Alexis? So Alexis is, um, I'm, a, I'm a very old man, Aman. Um, I'm 58 years old, and we can come back to that, that in a moment. I'm 58 years old. Um, I, uh, I, was, I was born in London, um, uh, and uh, I went to university in the States. So I was lucky enough to go to university in the States and came back here. Um, I've worked in all kinds of industries. I've, uh, I'm probably the only person who's been involved in technology who's actually made uh, a bra. Um, I oh, sold... Wow. Uh, yeah, I sold women's lingerie to Marks and Spencers for about six years. Um, I sold shoes to Marks and Spencers for about two years. Um, I have been involved. I was a, a founder of um, of, a, of an investment business, which is one of the largest uh, specialist investment businesses in VCTs, EIS, and business property relief. Um, I've done a whole host of things. So when I am answering your questions today, I hope that I can kind of give you an idea how, um, how variety is, is very helpful uh, and how you can draw on experiences, whether it be 
working with Marks and Spencers in their heyday back in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, or indeed uh, uh, working with um, uh, you know with investment professionals in the uh, in the investment business. So a, a huge variety, and I, I hope I can share that with you. Well, that's a, a fascinating background uh, from. It is definitely, it may not be fascinating, but it's definitely varied. <laughs> well, you know what? Definitely, definitely varied. When I, um, when I tell people about my background, they say, okay, so you're the, um, you're the CEO of Digiru, a tech company in London. I said, they go, how did it all start? I was like, well, I used to DJ at one point. Uh, I have a pharmacy degree, so I'm a legal drug dealer. Uh, I also um, used to DJ on radio. And um, I also was this, uh, and I have a master, uh, I have a, uh, a publication in the US, uh, on how to pharmacy education. I said, well, that's uh, varied. I was like, well, actually, I completely agree with you. It all comes in handy. I tell you one of the things, I want to take a very quick detour. Um, one of the things that comes in handy is that um, when I first started the company, what I realized was that customer service in general was quite shit across London, across digital. Right. It was, I just found customer service from, from digital companies was very much like, we're going to take a digital approach. We're going to email all the time. I hated that. I, 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 I took it really strongly. And it was just at the time when I was in university, having a lecture on, as a pharmacy degree, it was teaching, teaching us how to communicate to people that they are going to die. And you need strong communication skills to be able to tell someone you're going to pass away. Your time on earth is done. Or you have to tell a family member. And the combination of the two of having those communication skills, having basically what I'm saying in all of this, that having that varied background really does come in handy at things that you never would have thought. Never, I never would have imagined that link, but it does. It comes if, if there is still one person on the planet who is one of your listeners, who has not listened to the Steve Jobs commencement speech at, uh, I think it was Stanford University, I urge them to do so. Because basically it just simply says, you just you know, learn, Learn for the sake of learning, because you just simply never know when it is going to be useful. And if there is anybody who has never seen Steve Jobs' commencement speech at Stanford, where he talks about, where he talks about his love of calligraphy. Oh, yes, I remember this. He yeah. loved, when he talks about his love of calligraphy, and he talks about the fact that he took this class and he, he absolutely loved the, 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 the letters and you know, the, all, everything to do with that. And you should not be therefore surprised that the very first Apple computers came with a full set of fonts, <laughs> which of course Microsoft did not. And so you know, from that one can, I think he makes a, a, an observation that their strong position in the design community, there was a period when Apple was basically reduced to a rump, literally in the design community, but their credentials were basically driven by the class that he, that he, I think the technical term in the States is audited. He just sat in on it. He didn't pay for it. Correct. Um, but learn for the sake of learning. And you never know when it's going to be useful. Your, your, your legalized drug dealing is, I'm sure, stands, stands you instead every day. I feel sure. <laughs> this is so funny. I just watched the Steve Jobs movie last night. I read his book. I read the Walter Isaacson book. And I just watched the movie with uh, Michael Fassbender in yesterday. And it's, yes, always, it's, it's a great reminder of his genius. I, I'm a massive fan of Jobs. I've always been a massive but, but fan. But it is the commencement speech at Stanford when he's standing there and he's talking about his, the fact that he was an orphan, the fact that his, uh, his, his um, birth mother gave him up, mm -hmm. that his adopted parents, the relationship with them, the commitment that they had. I mean, it was, it's the most fantastic. But fundamentally, learn, because learning is, you never know, it's always going to be useful. You just don't know when. 
we've been five minutes into the podcast and Alexis have already dropped us a golden nugget. Um, <laughs> this is going to be fun. <laughs> let's, see we can, let's see if we can dig a little deeper. <laughs> well, that's a fantastic uh, introduction to yourself. Um, tell us about Receipt Bank. Um, there are going to be a few people who run a business and will be using Receipt Bank. In our first couple of years of business, it was gold for me, uh, absolutely gold for me. But for anyone who, for the listeners who are listening and who have no idea what Receipt Bank is, what is it? Uh, so Receipt Bank is, is, uh, is one of those companies where the name actually doesn't tell you anything. So we're not a bank and we don't really do receipts. I mean, we do invoices and credit notes and whatever. But, but for three weeks back into September of 2010, when we started, my co-founder and I, Michael Wood, when we started on September the 1st of 2010, we thought we were going to be in the expenses business. We thought we were going to be in the employee expenses business. And my previous business uh, had, uh, we had sold, um, we had sold um, investment products to high net worth individuals through their accountants. I knew lots and lots of accountants. And I rang them all up and I said, you know, we're going to take all those ghastly bits of paper that your clients insist on giving you. We're going to deal with all that crap. I'm going to deal with all of it. And they said, well, that's great. But what we really want you to do is we want you to, uh, to take care of the invoices and the credit notes and anything to do with cost. Our clients are happy to raise sales invoices, but they don't want to deal with the costs. Can you do that? And for three weeks, um, and we said, no, no, no. And I'm sure your listeners would agree with this. We said, no, no, no. We have a strategy. <laughs> we have a plan. And we are not going to get deflected by you know, all these accountants telling us, all these potential customers telling us that they wanted to buy something completely different. We're not going to do that because we have a plan. And we always stick to our plans, don't we, Aman? Yes. Skull rule. Anyway, after three weeks of being told this consistently, we decided that we would uh, gently pivot to accommodate um, these requests. And for two years, possibly three years even, we didn't really know what business we were in. And by the way, I, this is, I think, useful, perhaps. It, was, it seemed to me at the time to be a challenge. Uh, it was very difficult, um, and it took us a long time to, to, to really get an answer to it. But in the old days, when people used to go to trade shows, there used to be an exhibitor directory, and it would say, you know, XYZ company. And then it would say, XYZ company is a world leader in blank, full stop. You know, based in our global headquarters in Swindon, Wiltshire, whatever. But fundamentally, that one sentence, yeah. this company is a global leader in whatever. And for three years, we couldn't answer that question. We could answer it with a paragraph. We couldn't answer it with a single, a single sentence. And it took us about two to three years to work out that what we were actually in, the business that we were at, the category that we were actually in was bookkeeping productivity. Okay. So predominantly, our customers, our accountants, I mentioned that. Yeah who use our services to make their bookkeeping more productive. Okay, so, uh, so a client, a small business owner or their employees will submit uh, images of their receipts or their invoices or their costs of the business and, and, the, uh, and the, the practice, the accounting, the high street practice will receive those transactions dig digitally. The data will already have been extracted by our systems uh, and and uh, ultimately, that will allow them to prepare the the, uh, the accounts on a monthly, quarterly, whatever the cycle happens to be. But we did not know what business we were in. And once again, I urge your listeners to think think thoughtfully about the nature of the business that they are actually in. If you're going to be in technology, if you're going to be doing things technological, 
then you really do have to think about doing things that are different, that haven't been done before, segments that perhaps don't exist. And um, so anyway, it, it took us a long time to get to that, to scratch our heads, to think about it. And finally, we came up with uh, bookkeeping productivity. So Receipt Bank is today the world leader in bookkeeping productivity. Um, and we only really defined the category back in sort of 2012, 2013. Fantastic. So that's what we, that's what we, that's what we do. And you know, it's a, it's a global business. We have offices um, in Sydney, uh, in Cape Town, in, um, in Paris, in, uh, in uh, Washington DC, in London, obviously. Most of our engineering is in Bulgaria. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, as I used to say, as, you know, um, from Sydney to Paris, from Washington to Cape Town, uh, the sun is always shining on a receipt bank office. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, I absolutely love it. Um, I want to circle back to, because uh, you guys founded, were well, founded in 2010, uh, 2010, and then took you about two to three years to figure out what receipt bank is, uh, to really get clarity uh, on what receipt bank is. I want to yep. circle back to, because we actually urge all of our clients right from the beginning, because I've, I've had that mistake. I, I, I've been through that mistake. I wouldn't say it's a mistake. I've been through that lesson, should I say, where I wasn't really sure what our company did. I was like, okay, are we web developers? Are we app developers? What niche are we in? Who do we serve? I don't really know. And one thing I found that without that lack of clarity, we struggled. Uh, we struggled with our marketing, struggled with our messaging. We struggled with who we are serving. We, we struggled... In fact, it really didn't give us any direction. So the question I want to ask you is that because you didn't really know exactly what Receipt Bank was at the time, how did you get through those initial two to three years? Like how, what direction were you following? Or were you always on hunches and just thinking, no, we're on a course of learning at the moment and eventually we will understand what this product is? So... Uh, in many ways, it was more more a function of definition than it was. You know, okay. we, we, we knew that we were in the business of saving people time. So our very first Perfect. proposition was the ability to extract data off documents. Okay, And, and when you're doing bookkeeping, that is, you don't need to be a, a work-study engineer to know that that is the vast majority of the of time being consumed in that relatively low-level, low-value function. So that was always our... our, our our goal, um, how we articulate that. Uh, so, so there were people in 2010, 11, 12, 13, who, who wanted to be in the data extraction business. And we never wanted to be in the data extraction business. You know, we wanted to be in the expenses business originally for three weeks. And then, and then ultimately we wanted to be the dominant player in something called bookkeeping productivity. And, and so, one of, the, one of the, the strengths that we had was that we didn't take the easy route out and say, oh, we're a data extraction company. Like, well, whatever that is, I, I don't really know what that is. And, and quite why that would somehow help you articulate it to your clients and help them to solve their problems. It's not obvious that that was really a message that that would be, that that would be compelling. But we were always, pretty much from day one, focused on trying to save people time. And saving people time does ultimately equal pr productivity. And we touched on, we touched on my background. You know, interestingly enough, um, there is almost nobody in technology who has ever worked in a, in a, you know, at the business end of a factory. Mm. You know, I mentioned I made a bra. But we, what we tried to do is we tried to think about, uh, uh, you know, accounting practices, our customers, mm. our partners, 
and we refer to them as partners. Um, and we, what we were trying to do is, is because of my experience in working in the factory, I knew what productivity looked like. So I, we built tools that if you were running a numbers factory rather than a clothing factory, these are the kind of numbers that you as the factory manager, in inverted commas, would need to know in terms of, of the workflow and where it was. And, and one of the interesting things about digital anything is you lose track. Yeah. So you're once again, you are much too young, and I'm sure many of your listeners are much too young. But, but, but in the old days, you used to walk into offices and there'd be piles of paper. And you used to walk into accountants. This is 2010. You walk into an accountancy office or an accounts payable department within a company, and you just see piles of paper lying around. And, and, and literally, the way it used to work with the bookkeepers is maybe on the right-hand side was all the paper that they were waiting to process, and on the left-hand side was all the processed paper that they processed. When it goes digital, you can't see it. Mm-hmm. So we had to build tools that would allow the people who needed to know about this stuff to see where the work was. Where is it? You know, is it waiting to be done? Has it been done? Uh, and so on. And where we are today with that is that, you know, that, that you're now getting to real-time accounting, real-time finance. You don't have to wait until, you know, if you talk to an accountant, he'd say, yeah, well, we'll do the uh, monthly accounts and we'll do the monthly balance sheet and all these things are done on a monthly basis and possibly a quarterly basis because there's a VAT return, perhaps. But actually, you know what, we're getting to kind of real-time, real-time accounting. We can move money. I can send you £10 right now and it's going to be in your, on your card tomorrow. Right now, 10 seconds, milliseconds. Yeah. So we don't need, you know, if your financial information is, is important, and for some people it is, and for some people it's, it's less important, um, the world that we're moving to today is, is ultimately productivity helps our partners to, be, to make money and to provide a better client experience for their, for their customers. Um, but what it is, is you know, the, the rest of the world is looking at is, is speed. How we do things faster. I mean, it's a pain in the neck to enter a PIN number now when you go to a, you know, it's just work hard. How inconvenient. I've got to put in four numbers. Ridiculous. How kind of how prehistoric is this? Absurd. Anyway, I'm hopefully that's helpful. No, that's very helpful. So <laughs> that's amazing. So let's go back to then when you initially had the idea. What were the first steps you took? Because that's one of the biggest struggles for entrepreneurs now. A lot of people say, oh, I'm an ideas person or I have ideas, I have this. But they don't really know what the next step is or how to execute it. What was the first step that you took on your journey with your co-founder, Michael? Um, so uh, it's dear old you know, Chairman Mao, isn't it? You just have to take the first step. You just have to take the first step. But the thing about starting any business is that the, the, the volume of things that you don't know <laughs> greatly exceed the things that you do know. And actually, Michael and I used to debate this quite a lot in the, in the early days as to why it's so difficult. Why is it so difficult? So the simple answer, I'll come back you know, to answer your question yeah. is, for goodness sake, just get the company set up. Just register the company, register the domain name. And at that point, you're kind of in the game. You're kind of in the game. And you're, you know, the people that you talk to, you will get rejected. It's, it's almost inevitable. You know, some of us start with, with, with uh, perhaps advantages, but having been in the field before. But fundamentally, most people are generous. Most people are generous. And if you ring someone up and you say, please, can you help me? As it happens, my son is, is working on, a, on a, 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 a very sophisticated startup. 
and the generosity that people, you know, this is a, you know, in the broadcast film industry, the generosity of people in that space with their time, with their expertise, with their opinions is extraordinary. And what that has allowed him to do is, is to take a relatively broad, you know, he's working with a very, a very brilliant guy who has an unbroken 20-year uh, uh, record of failure. I mean, catastrophic, one, one disappointment after another. He, ha he does not lack for ideas. But what he lacks is the ability to just keep on asking the same questions over and over to, to different people so that you start to narrow, narrow, the, narrow the, uh, the field. Because to be creative is to basically to have the luxury of a, of a landscape that is infinite. And that people can't buy infinite possibilities. They can buy something very narrow. And so the challenge at the beginning is to try and find the very smallest thing that somebody will actually pay you for or actually use, which is good news because it usually means that the cost of developing it, providing it, whatever, is also correspondingly small. But you do have to constantly, like a Rubik's Cube, you constantly have to play with the combinations. Well, if we did this, would that solve that? How about this? Maybe this. Often it's helpful to have someone to talk to, to have a partner, to have a mentor, to have someone you trust. Just even speaking out loud, speaking the words out loud often is, is helpful. Just sitting in, um, in a space, staring at the wall, is not going to get your business built. You do actually have to talk to people and you have to do it out loud and you have to expose yourself to the possibility of ridicule. But let us take the concept of product market fit. That is a... That is a process, a reductive process that you start off with. Well, we can change the, the industry. <laughs> We're going to change the entire industry. That's our mission. We're going to do that. It's like, okay, well, great. You know what? That's great. But actually, if you could just find the really big pain point, one little pain point, one, sorry, one pain point that is common to lots and lots of customers, and you can nail that pain point. Just keep digging, go smaller, 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 force yourself to go smaller. What's the absolute minimum you think you can get away with? Because it's easy to go big and it's just sloppy. It's mentally sloppy. You just haven't spoken to enough people. You haven't thought about it. You haven't thought about what they've actually told you. You've listened to what they said, but you haven't thought about what they, what was their actual meaning? When they say that, what do they actually mean? What kind of anger, what, what not, anguish are they experience? Is it a financial anguish? Is it an emotional anguish? Is it a time delay anguish? What are the, what are the things that they're, they're telling you about? And what do you think it actually means? Because it is, it's those next steps, I think, believe, that actually make it possible to get your, your product off the ground, your company off the ground. Is that, is that helpful? That's very helpful. And it actually leads perfectly onto my next question, which is, as uh, the company that we are, the, the creative that we are, and that we help people translate their ideas into uh, tangible products, one of the challenges that we have when speaking oh, to By the way, sorry, just one other thing. I think it was, uh, it was um, eight months before we made a sale. Wow. I think, I think it was about eight months. And by the way, actually one other thing, which was really good. Yeah. So we had a chairman, we appointed the chairman. And um, uh, so this is September we start. And in October, we had our first board meeting with him. Okay. 
uh, and we said, well, we've missed our, we've missed our sales forecast. Um, so he said, okay, fine, whatever. And we came up with all kinds of, kind of reasons why, why we had done that. And then uh, we went to see him in November for another board meeting and we missed our sales forecast and we came up with a whole list of new excuses. And then we went to see him again in December and uh, we came up, we missed our sales talk forecast again and we came up with a whole new bunch of excuses. And he said, listen guys, he said, listen guys, just pick a no excuses date. <laughs> Any date you like. Any date you like, you know. You, you couldn't make the sales forecast because you didn't have this feature. You didn't have this capability. You couldn't, whatever. It doesn't matter. You know, I'm not beating you up about this. It's not a big deal. It's not actually my business. It's your business. But pick a date when there are no excuses. Okay. When you think that you will have a viable product for the customers that we've, that we've talked about. And we actually, we picked uh, Valentine's Day. Okay. Valentine's Day. February of uh, 2011 um, was the no excuses date. And that was the idea was that at that point, any meeting with him was, you know, we, there, there might be reasons why things hadn't happened, but they weren't going to be excuses and they weren't going to be based on stuff that we just invented. It was, you know, no excuse date. And that's holding yourself to account. I love it. I didn't. Sorry, I, I beg your yeah. pardon. I, 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 I digress. I, gave, I, I, I had no idea about that story. That's why. And, and um, it's a fascinating story. And I think a lot of people could take inspiration from it, um, which is interesting. Um, I, when we speak to a lot of entrepreneurs and startups, they, they always come with that mindset of, okay, the app is going to do this. It's going to do that. It's also going to do this. It's also going to have this bell. It's also going to have this whistle on the left. And it's also going to allow people to do this and allow people to do that. It's going to have a million. I'm, I'm not joking on my whiteboard. I, um, when we meet other clients, I often have to get their number of features and cross them all out with a big red pen. And I feel like I'm being mean, but it's always like a, a, a lesson to say you need to focus on the user's problem uh, and solving that problem, just as you were saying. But it's hard to get that across. And I'm, I'm going to be very honest with you. A lot of entrepreneurs and startups, particularly a lot of the ones listening, will feel like, no, 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 we want these features. We want these features. We want that feature. What would be your advice to those entrepreneurs listening now who don't follow the MVP methodology or the MVP structure, should we say? And they want to launch their app with a million and one features or, or so many features. And rather than focusing on the customer's problem, what would you kind of say to them or give them as part of your advice? Um, so I, I'm not actually in necessarily in favor of um, listening to your customers. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Sound, no, it sounds kind of odd. Uh, let me tell you a story. So I went to see, um, uh, I went to see a, a firm and there, there are two parts to this conversation, and I'm rolling. This is a this is a conversation that took place, you know, when the company had been six years old, and we knew that we were doing bookkeeping productivity, and so it's a slightly different scenario. And we'll come back to, and I'm bound to lose my track, so just remind me, you have to remind me to come back to the beginning again. Um, but anyway, this is a very large, potentially large uh, customer, and he said, Alexis, we absolutely love what you what you do. Um, can I give you some advice? And I said, um, sure, you know, great, thank you. I told you people were generous. Um, and he said, um, he said, uh, you know, uh, one of the other companies that we work with, they, they, uh, they have, um, you know, every sort of six months or so, they have a group of us come to their headquarters, and they, they, you know, we have a very intensive day, and we have a dinner the night before, and we have a, a you know, a very intensive day discussing the product and 
the roadmap and, and we make suggestions and, uh, and so on. And they get tremendously good value from, from, um, from those sessions. And I think you should do something similar. And I said to him, I said, well, I said, thank you for, first of all, thank you very much indeed for that, that thought. That's, that's great. Uh, but we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. I said, you know, and the reason why we're not going to do that is because I have spent 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year for the last seven years thinking about where I want to take this business. Okay. It's unreasonable to expect your customers to understand more about those possibilities than you do. And so uh, I'm not going to take your advice because I, I'm not going to hand the steering wheel of this, of this car, of this speedboat, to, to the customers. I, I have my vision. I know what I want to do. Sure, if there's a, you know, we have a research team that, do, that, that move buttons around and whatever, uh, that's cool. I'm, I don't have a problem with that. But in terms of the, the, the broader... Uh, uh, development of the of the company and the application, the problems that we are trying to solve, and the technology that we're using to try and solve them. So um, anyway, so that was that was uh, that was kind of that. Now we're going to roll back to the the sort of uh, the the beginning uh, in the early days, and you know, rejection is a very powerful um, feeling. Be rejected. It hurts, genuinely hurts. And if you throw enough, if you throw enough capabilities at people, the theory is they will have they will have less reason to reject you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Do you have this capability? No, I don't. It, it's, it's like well, in, that, in theory, that closes the conversation down. It doesn't close the conversation down. If you are confident in in your ability to articulate your vision for the capabilities that you do have. Then, for goodness' sake, sell those. Explain why the, the the customer cannot live without them, or alternatively, understand which customers your feature set, your limited capabilities, will appeal to. Because they shouldn't appeal to everybody. If they do appeal to everybody, then you know you're you've spent too much time, too much money, and everything else. But for goodness' sake, be confident about rejection, and and really understand how important these capabilities are. Because it is really easy for potential customers to say, oh, do you have this? The fact that they use it once every th three years, or they've heard on a podcast that somebody thought it was a good idea, but they have no idea how to use it. You know, it's, it, 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 we're, in, in the world of technology, the amount of ignorance that customers generally have is way, way beyond anything that most of us um, can, can, can imagine. So don't overspec it try and get away with the minimum and try and develop genuine sales skills to sell what you've got rather than just simply saying, Oh, well, actually we're not going to develop sales capabilities and we're not going to deal with objections and we're not going to deal with rejection because we're just going to throw a load of features at it and they're just going to love it, which by the way is a curse. <laughs> the, the curse of a lot of features is that often what you have, have what happens is you have, um, not all of the, the features are equally well executed, uh, well um, well imagined, well delivered. Um, and by the way, not all of the capabilities have the same uh, everyday usage. So some of them might be literally used every two minutes. Mm -hmm. Others might be used once every six months. Mm -hmm. 
but you know we that you, you end up with this the, the bigger the more complex you make the the application the more the client is expected to invest time in learning how to do this yeah more capabilities that you've got the more likely the more uneven the client experience is going to be because there are going to be some things that are terrific they use all the time and there are some things that they frankly we probably haven't finished and in, and it's kind of uneven and 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 so you just need to be really really careful really fight tooth and nail before adding new capabilities really understand what you're doing and why you're doing it and that you're not just letting the salespeople off the hook Guys, I've got a huge announcement to make. Whether you're new to the podcast or a dedicated listener, trust me, you're going to want to hear this. Because for 2020 and this new decade, I wanted to do something absolutely crazy for you guys. Something nobody would expect. Are you ready? You better be, because I'm pleased to announce that our App Accelerator program is now available completely free of charge. That's right, our online course which teaches you the exact 10-step system that anyone can use to help create their app without any experience is now available for free. In fact, it's the exact 10-step system that I used to make the number one educational game in the App Store that I learned from some of the top app developers and geniuses in the industry without knowing a single line of code. And it's the exact repeatable framework that I use today in my agency to help our clients create their own chart-topping apps. Just think, wouldn't you love to make the next Candy Crush or Uber? If so, then now you can. Learn how to get investment for your app, how to get people downloading it, the secrets to creating a winning app, plus all the guidance, resources, and expertise you will ever need to launch your own successful app startup, even if you have no experience. So if you're sitting on an app idea and feel a bit stuck on how to get started, then you need this free course. Head on over to appstarterguide.com to get started. That's appstarterguide.com to get started. Until then, let's get back to the episode. I love it. I think one of the things that um, I found is that actually when you have a product that you completely believe in, you completely believe in its capabilities, it's a very easy thing to sell. It's It's not something that you have to learn how to sell necessarily. I mean, you have to learn how to sell everything, of course, but it's a lot, it becomes a lot easier when you believe in the product to sell something rather than something that, you know, it just does a whole bunch of things and you have to learn all these features and then kind of go to the customer and say, this is how it can help you. Rather than, look, I genuinely believe in this product. I think it's going to help you and then showing them how it's going to help them. And that really, really does make a huge difference. Um, The best way to start is how much time does it get? How much time does it take to get to the moment of delight? And the more features and the more capabilities you shove in there, the longer it'll be. So there are just one thing, what you really want them to do is you want them just like Christmas Day, open the box and you're like, that's great. <laughs> that's what you want. <laughs> okay. okay, that's the best way you could probably put it. Um, <clears throat> one thing I want to touch on, because we're, we're talking about this process and and how people should go about things and, and the mistakes they shouldn't make and the lessons they go through, blah, blah, blah. One thing that we spoke about before going on the podcast and talking and, and going live, me and you, was about your opinion on how little people think. Um, why don't you just expand on that quickly? Because the things you said to me before we went on really made me think, <laughs> no pun intended, but also... I think it's important for a lot of entrepreneurs and businesses and people who are about to start their business uh, to go into. 
because a lot of people are going out there replicating what other businesses are doing or just doing things for the sake of doing things. But sometimes they're not taking a step to just think about how they're going about things. So let's just go quickly into that. So what did you mean by that exactly? And how could it benefit our users who are listening in right now? Listeners. Okay, so, so we live in a world where, where you know, we're, we're, the whole world is populated by to-do lists and, you know, the like, you know, or, or productivity. Oh, well, maybe that as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so, and, and, and there is, of course, we still need to move the puck. We still need to move the chains. We still need to, to progress things. Mm. Of course, think there's, you know, the, the ultimate... Um, uh, waste of time is is to spend all your time thinking and actually not then ultimately do anything. However, I was struck by, I was struck by, I went to visit a company in the States actually and um, the, the chief executive uh, for three hours he told me all the things he was doing and for three hours I told him all the things we thought. Okay. We, how, do we, how do we think about the market? How do we think about the future? How do we think about our development agenda? How do we think about, uh, how, do we think about how we uh, execute a trade show? How do we think about uh, how, do we, um, how do we prioritize um, uh, you know, the development agenda? Um, how do we think about how we treat ourselves internally? You know, what is, for example, a, you know, a reasonable internal service level agreement between say the sales team and the develop uh, 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 and the, the product management team when say the sales team have a suggestion that they would like included in the in the product perhaps and um you know what thought have we given to how these interactions might work could work should work and the crucial thing about that is is that you define we we ended up and i can only really speak for, for what we were doing and by the way this is built on previous experiences and, uh, and so on, but it was very much how we, we first of all defined something called the receipt bank way, okay? Which is, was a slightly pompous way of putting it, but what we were trying to do was we were trying to, to remind ourselves that there isn't a right way or a wrong way, there is just merely the way that we have chosen, okay? At this particular moment, we have chosen this, this style of address, we've chosen, um, how to uh, how we conduct ourselves at trade shows, whatever it might be. But we have thought about, we genuinely thought about what the question is, and um, uh, we have we can articulate that to anybody uh, who is interested. Um, what our view is, not that it's right, not that it's wrong. And by the way, I would urge you know anybody who's listening, it's not about right and wrong. You know, it's just whatever you, whatever works for you. There is no right answer. And um, so you're not searching for the right answer, which often is very, very helpful. But for goodness sake, think about, I mean, the example I was always, always giving is there was a period when people were very keen on ping pong tables and uh, bean bags and, and, and things of, of that nature, and indeed painting the walls, various funky colors, etc. And, you know, we thought about this, we discussed this internally. And, you know, one of the things it seemed to, to us was that um, when you start to put a ping pong table into, a, into an office, you're basically inviting people to blur work and play. And, and we really wanted people to, to work when they're working and play when they're supposed to be playing. And so culturally, it seemed that that was, in, that was a conflict with what we were trying to, trying to do. I, I wrote a, an internal email, particularly in the London office, they were very keen on something called annual leave. Okay. 
So you write, you, you send out an email of some sort and, and an email will come back and it would say, um, thank you for your email. I'm away on annual leave until whenever, okay? And anyway, I thought about this and it seemed to me that, you know, annual leave was basically a sort of a, a way of defining some, you, that you're incarcerated in a prison. You've been given a, a, you know, a piece of paper that allows you out for two weeks time, in two weeks. And um, reluctantly in two weeks time, you're going to come back. Okay, that's what it seemed to me to be to be about but the word holiday the word holiday is a term is a term that is is that talks about sunshine it talks about relaxation it talks about the absence of work it talks about it talks about a well-deserved break from work mm. and so this is not you know you don't need to get all terribly philosophical I, I, but but nevertheless in terms of once you start down a particular thought process about how you want to conduct yourself how you want to think about questions then you start to to, to find that actually the process becomes just a little bit easier and, and we we really enjoyed it interestingly enough culturally you know people talk about um how important culture is in organizations today and i have to say I've always been a little bit skeptical. I've never really understood what that meant, particularly when you when you get a group of people in a room and you, you know the senior the leadership of the company say, "Okay, what's our culture?" <laughs> like, yeah, I have no idea. Don't know. But, but today, I think culture is ultimately about the stories that the people inside the company tell each other, and you know, by by defining the way that you think about things, by defining the way that you think about a holiday, that by the defining the way you think about work and play, defining how you think about a executing a trade show, that you there are standards that we that we conduct, we hold ourselves internally accountable to, you are essentially starting to define the ingredients that make for culture. And uh, and to think about I mean another interesting example might be uh, transparency. This is a good one. Actually you might enjoy this. I hope you enjoy this. Um, so I had a, we had a sort of leadership offsite and uh, the question was, I don't quite remember, I think the head of HR, um, by the way, we got to, we got to 250 people and we had no HR. Okay. <laughs> That's amazing. 250 people, 250 people with no HR. But anyway, we had an offsite and the question was, how transparent do we want to be? Okay. How transparent do we want to be? And everybody said, oh, we, we, we want to be completely transparent. It's like, okay, fine. So I, re I, made, I remember writing down, it's like, well, okay, we want to be completely transparent. And a year later, a year later, um, I thought about this. And I thought, gosh, well, we, we haven't made very much progress towards becoming transparent. We are no more transparent than we, we were. And it just seemed to me that actually, once again, thinking a little bit about this, the conclusion I reached was, if I'm working at Receipt Bank, and the the chief executive is just throwing at me numbers and surveys and just stuff. I mean, completely transparent. Anything you want to know, you can have that lot. Okay, it's like, well, I'm not very interested in that. Actually, I, I you know, I want it slightly curated and shaped yeah. to help me to do my job. And so we came up. Well, I came up with you know basically half a dozen things that everybody in the company really needed to know mm. in order to, to 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 understand what we were doing where we were going etc there were six things that you needed to know and um uh, and you should be able to stop anyone should be able to stop anybody else at the um at the the, the elevators uh, and when those were the days when you could use an elevator yeah. um and you should be able to ask anybody no matter how senior or junior 
these six, uh, six things, then they should be able to answer them. And one of them was, how old is Alexis? Oh, really? Yeah, you should be able to answer that question. And because the point is that we're in a hurry. When you are doing a growth business, it, doing, uh, building a business is actually not that difficult. Building a fast growth business is much more difficult because you're trying to basically do, you know, this year we will be trying to do in one year all of the revenue that we did in the last nine. It's like, okay, so you're going to do nine years revenue in one. Okay, well, that's, that's quite fast. It's difficult. You have to recruit people, train people, etc. So anyway, so we half a dozen things. When do we arrive at a million clients? What date do we arrive at a million clients? And how does that move around? How old is Alexis? I can't remember what the last, the other four things were. But, but fundamentally, choose some things that matter to you and then repeat yourself until you are bored rigid. Because if you think they're important, then keep saying it. Don't invent new ones. Just keep hammering away at the core messages, at the core questions, at the, uh, at the things that you're genuinely trying to achieve so that nobody can be under any doubt what that meant. And by the way, it also fed through. There was a little, kind of, I hope, uh, once again, an amusing anecdote. But on a Friday night, you know, when everyone's sitting around having a drink in whichever office they were in, and whoever was the senior executive um, at the time would, would walk into the room and, um, and you know, basically everyone would be having a drink and thank everybody for their, for their contribution during the week. And, and then, um, then I would say, oh, and, and Aman, what do we do on Monday? <laughs> what do we do on Monday, Aman? And the correct, approved, thought about answer is, Alexis, we get to do it all over again, but just a little bit better. Nice. Okay. all over again but just a little bit better and the point about that is is that what we do is a defined process and we're not skiing off piste we are trying to to perfect the processes that comprise this business and all that we're trying to do next week is just do it a little bit better anyway hopefully that's useful interesting entertaining i i, I i'm like I was just sitting there listening, thinking, oh, no, "This is like the, this is like my mentorship. This is why I, I, I can just sit here and just listen." And I think that's what a lot of people get as well. Is it's almost like we're just being mentored by you. And one of the key things that I got from that—I mean, I got loads of things from that. If I'm very honest with you, but one of the key things that I got from that was just be you and just be your company. Don't try to be anyone else. Don't try to do anything else. Stick to you. And every company, as cliche as it sounds, every company is unique and should be unique. It shouldn't be, you know, like you have to get an office in the city of London and have all of these cool things and these ping pong tables and the arcade machines. No, like just be you and see what works for you and your company to support that growth and support your goals. Yeah. I, that's the, one of the key things I took away from that. And I, I if, if, you are, if you have thought about it and you are honest, you can be consistent. And about building, mm. building a business is, a, is not about genius, uh, a genius um, bold home runs. Mm. It's literally about layering one brick on top of the other, on top of the other, on top of the other. And if you, ha if you're, if you have not thought about the foundations and if you as the, the, the leader of your business, as the you know, founder of your business, perhaps, are not consistent. If you are running around randomly looking for inspiration that somehow is going to, to translate into growing a, a substantial business, you are probably wrong. It can happen, but mostly it's just a...
hard slog of understanding questions, coming up with the answers, trying to, the answer today and the answer tomorrow will be different and the answer to the next day will be different. But keep coming back to those core questions that are the key ingredients in your, in your business and you will solve them better um, you know, if you keep on asking, keep on asking the question, you'll come up with better answers over time. I love it. One of the things that you mentioned that you said that, okay, so on Monday, we're going to come back and do it all again, but better. Just One thing that week. I read online, which I thought was really interesting, was that every 12 weeks, you have this internal role, role review system. Is this yes. still happening right now where every you said it's one of the proudest moments uh, from what yes. I read that yes. every 12 week, weeks you reflect on what the person or you as a company have learned and what you need to learn. Is that something that's still happening now? And where did it all come from? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not close <laughs> enough to, I'm not close enough to it. Um, so in many ways, that's a, that's a very interesting. So we, so first of all, I should say the genesis of that idea Mm. was from my previous business okay. so I was a founding partner uh, one of the founding partners at a company called Triple Point and we were all self-employed everybody in the organization was self-employed okay and what does that mean okay well from a tax perspective for, for the company and indeed for the individuals that was much more in those days it was much more favorable so so that was that was that was that but when you're self-employed, you, you have, by definition, um, personal responsibility. And we tried to emphasize that to, to everybody in the organization, that, um, uh, that they were personally responsible to their colleagues for the skills that they had uh, and, uh, and so on. And so when we started Receipt Bank, we started by, by thinking about role role reviews and, and the, and the important, important thing this is a role mm. so nobody has a job this is about a role you have a role to perform in the organization uh, we were chatting before we started uh, about you know what the titles are that get given to these roles but fundamentally it's a role document and the role document you know outlines very specifically the responsibilities that you have in this role and the likely activities that you're going to undertake in order in order to do that if I, I haven't played golf, I'm playing golf on Thursday, by the way, apparently the first day of rain that we've had <laughs> in the last six weeks, but anyway, let's not worry about that. Um, if I only play once every five years, I don't get very good at it. And people, generally speaking, organizations and indeed people are not very good at reviews, okay? Because they don't do them very often. And so, uh, and they also perceive that there is some kind of salary you know, element attached to, to, to this review. And so what we made it very clear was this was not a performance review. It was a review of the role. And one of the things about a growth business is, is when you are growing very rapidly, how people spend their time can change very rapidly. And so the, it was very important that you sit down with the, the current role document, which expects that, you know, a salesperson is going to be spending 80% of their time doing, you know, outbound sales uh, and 20% of their time doing customer service, perhaps. And I, this was, you know, this happened to us where somebody who was, you know, suddenly, um, you know, when we sat down in the role review, because I hadn't hired anyone in customer service, he was spending 80% of his time doing customer service and 20% on sales. And so the ability, when, when you, within a growth business, when you have those dislocations, when you have a situation where a role might, might only, might not exist, 
because when you started it only took 10 minutes a day and suddenly you're materially larger and suddenly it's a full-time role to do that if you do not pick up on those things in your organization through regular role reviews uh, then you will you will make frankly make elementary mistakes that would that will cost you and if you do it every 12 weeks then of course you, you you can pick them up much much more quickly than you would otherwise if you were waiting for an annual review which frankly is a waste of time but, <laughs> but, but the other the other thing about the role reviews was that we were recruiting young people okay and young people young people uh, quite rightly want to have a, a an idea of what their journey in the organization looks like and it's an opportunity within the role review to sit down on a regular basis and talk about the role to talk about the skills to talk about where to what extent are they excelling in these skills but perhaps not in these and what kind of uh, support could they would they need it might be to do with capacity uh, but crucially it's about it's about the the journey and how if you strengthen your skills in this area then the next time we'll meet we will promote you to whatever it might be and and, and what we did at the time um right way back when and this definitely doesn't happen now um uh it definitely doesn't happen now but when we started every time that a young person would join straight out of school typically um very inexperienced and uh, but very cheap and we thought cheap was good. We, needed, we didn't have any money, so cheap was ideal. But what we did was we said, okay, fine. When, as you become more accomplished in your role, we will pay you more. So every 12 weeks, the very first person who joined us, she started on, let's go back a few years, but she started on 18,000. And I know that her parents said, why, who the hell are these people? Why are you joining them? It's too risky. Your friends are joining proper growing up companies. Anyway, she joined us. Uh, 12 weeks later, we gave her a 10% raise. Okay. Uh, two grand. Okay. So, that's what? 180 pounds a month. Okay. The company wasn't going to get bankrupted over 180 pounds a month. But crucially, she was able to tell her parents, I just got a 10% raise. And of course, what do the parents think? It's like, well, this is awesome. Somebody finally appreciates my talented son, daughter, whatever it happens to be. They tell their friends. Who may be working in better more prestigious organizations but they didn't get a 10% raise and they have you know whatever so and then another 12 weeks you get another 10% raise and another 10% raise and then they get promoted whatever but suddenly you have a sense that you're as a young professional you're on a career journey you're you're exploring the possibility of skills 12 every 12 weeks and then, by the way crucially this is very interesting by the way I uh, we uh, it's the individual's responsibility for booking their role review, not the manager's. Interesting. So, so the point about this, Aman, was if, so once again, this is about thinking, not right or wrong, it's just I thought that this was appropriate. If you're not interested enough in you and your career and your role not to book a re role review, why the hell should I? Why should I care about you? I don't care about you. <laughs> I do, I really don't. I do if you're interested in you, but if you're not interested in you, I'm not, why should I be interested in you? You should leave, you shouldn't be working here because everybody else in this organization is actually genuinely interested in their career. They take themselves perhaps arguably a little too seriously. So it's your responsibility and it's a pretty good clue as to how interested somebody is in their own career if they're not, if, if they're not prepared to book a role review 
then probably then they shouldn't be working here. Wow, what a, a great way to almost incentivize people to can I, can I can I just illustrate for you how badly wrong that can go? I I, I explained. <laughs> I stood up. No, I, I did a speech a while ago, and I and I was talking about this. And as you can tell, I am I am very. We got there by accident. Um, a lot of you know a lot of thinking along the way. Anyway, I was sitting next door to this guy. I did a speech, and I sat down, and the guy was sitting next door to me. And he said, uh, "He said it's genius, genius." I said, "Well, what's genius?" And he said, "Well." He said, it's a pain in the neck for me to organize all the, all the role reviews. Uh, so I'm just going to go back to the office tomorrow morning and tell them, okay, from now on, everybody, you need to book your role reviews. And I, and I thought, you know what? You've just missed the point. Just, <laughs> this isn't about saving you time. Mm. This is about how your, you know, your staff personal responsibility, the, the foundation of this, is a culture of personal responsibility that says we take you seriously you take your role seriously if you take your role seriously we will take you seriously we will reward you we will pay you more money we will promote you you have a career path in this organization up to the point by the way where you don't have a career path in which case you need to leave now, we're not sacking you and we're not making you redundant, but we're just simply saying that you're given that someone with your abilities should be looking elsewhere. And that's fine. Wow. That's fine. Wow, wow, wow. But anyway, he, he just completely misunderstood what I was talking about. <laughs> yeah, was really. He hadn't done the work. He, he wasn't prepared to do the thinking. It was just sloppy. It was the, it was the worst possible outcome. <laughs> Um, I only have a couple more questions because, well, I have a million questions, but I'm very respectful of your time. Um, and I want to touch on a couple of things. Uh, one of them, which I, is also personally one of the biggest struggles I had uh, in my company. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs and, and business owners have that struggle as well. Um, you, I read online that you compare Receipt Bank or the product to evolving, you know, a baby evolving into an adult. And you spoke about how the business was actually totally dependent on you, your co-founder, and two other people. I think it was your head of product and head of innovation or, or somewhere along the line. Mm -hmm. And over time, the product started to gain its independence. And now it's not totally dependent on you as business owners. So the question I'm kind of trying to ask is that a lot of entrepreneurs, and me and myself in particular, have struggled with the fact of getting ourselves out of the business, you know, where the business is not totally reliant on the owner. But it's a difficult step to make, not only just in the financials, but also mentally. You know, you're leaving a lot of other responsibilities to your, your, your baby, your product to someone else. How did you start with making that jump from taking your product from being totally dependent on you and your co-founder and, and a couple other people to then having a product which is independent? Um, so I'm, I'm not sure. I think we need to distinguish between a product and a company. Okay. Let's, let's go with company. Let's go with company. Okay. Well, um, uh, it, it's, um, well, it's a combination of really, I, I suppose, a, a couple of things. So, so first of all, it's not elegant. Okay. Um, uh, it's not elegant. Um, you know, I, I was very lucky. I, I had, um, you know, the sales director was terrific. Um, and, you know, he, he demonstrated by his own competence that 
he didn't need me there. Oh, wow. So he didn't, you know, the, the sales team did not need me to to define the sales process. You know, he did that. Um, and in many ways, not only did he take it, did he take it on, he, he materially improved it every day, every week, just a little bit better um, in, in, in ways that I could never have envisaged. So, so it, in, in many ways, I, there is a, there is a tension perhaps between um, uh, wanting to, you know, do you, do you want to just sort of give it away or do you want to have it taken away? And in many ways in the scenario that I'm describing to you, you know, the sales director, he took it away. You know, he was just so obviously capable that he, there was literally increasingly little that I could add to that particular subject. Um, and so as you bring in um, uh, uh, people who are, who, who just take it away from you, that becomes quite easy, um, unless you have something in your personality that doesn't allow that. But that's <laughs> what we're hoping to do here is, is, to, is to expand the, the range of, of uh, areas that you can contribute to. So. Um, I would, you know, it's slightly uh, trite, but you know, hiring good people. But yeah, I, my experience with with hiring good people is you you never know that you've hired someone good until you've hired them. So it's um, it's like and 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 I suppose in many ways that's that's the answer, which is if you haven't hired, if you haven't got someone to lead the sales effort, it's probably the most obvious area to start. Um, then you probably need to go out and try again. And you know, replace the person. I talked about you know, in the previous question. I talked about promoting people up to the point when you ask them to leave, not fire them. Just you are a talented person. Until until uh, the beginning of February, there was what was it? Three point eight percent unemployment. Every single person, every single capable person working for for either of us or in in any of the companies of the listeners is is fundamentally capable. They can get a job. They are not going to starve. We are not talking about having skills that are redundant. We're talking about having skills that are extremely relevant. And so all you're really saying is, you know, your skills are better suited to another environment it, where perhaps uh, the, the ownership structure allows a greater involvement from, from the, the, the owner, from the managing director, whatever it might be. In the organization that I am trying to build, I need someone with more with the ability to take more off my desk and you're not that person. So I think that's an okay kind of conversation to have. There's no real downside. Who knows quite what things will look like in come September when, when the world returns to normal, in inverted commas. Um, so I do think that, you know, high, if you do not have capable people to take stuff off you, the chances are it'll probably stay on your desk. Yeah. <laughs> the best will in the world, it'll probably stay on your desk. And, and I do think, I do think that, that this this idea that we have got um, that we have got uh, um, redundancy and firing as the two exits that's not really true. I mean, I, you know, it sounds a bit silly. I, I do love uh, Coldplay, um, and you know, when when Chris Martin and and, and Gwyneth Paltrow got divorced. And they talked about the fact that they were consciously uncoupling. It seems to me that you know people who in the organisation are not going to make the grade, whatever that means, who we are not going to continue to invest in, who do who are not, we don't think that they are going to be that they are going to expand their range of capabilities to the next level. Mm. 
then the term consciously uncoupling is a good one. To sit down with someone and say, we're not going to invest in you. You will flourish elsewhere. Mm. We will you know, write, write. Because what we're not saying is you're an idiot. We're not saying you're lazy. We're not saying you're incapable. We're just simply saying that given the shape of the organization and the, the slightly different skills that we believe, that I believe, that is required for that next step, you're not that person. Mm. You might be wrong. But, you know, you will go and get a better job somewhere else, the one that will probably be a better fit for for uh, for you but we should we shouldn't pretend that it's a good fit right now how's that sound i actually love it might be a few conversations i might have to have with a few people <laughs> <laughs> poor guys um what does the future hold for receipt bank this has been amazing but what does the future hold for receipt bank now where you guys are um i think last year two hundred and fifty thousand businesses um what does the future hold now Um, so uh, I, I never, I never heard of, um, I never heard of this term until I went to San Francisco uh, a few years ago, and it talks about up leveling. Okay. And I don't play video games. Up leveling. So I, I didn't. That's why I was scratching my head. Like, what the hell are you on about? And um, and the point about uh, apparently it's a it's a term that's used in video games. Okay. Um, and uh, over the course of the last uh, ten years, you know, every nine nine to 12 months or so, um, you kind of, something changes and you sort of move up to the next level and you look around at the landscape and, and you think we can, we can, we can, we have something to offer. And, um, uh, you know, the, the journey over the course of the next, uh, two to five years is, um, is essentially to translate productivity, which is fundamentally what sits within the practice mm. into, into a customer, into a into a, a distinctive customer experience for the clients of our primary partners and customers, at the accounting firms, and 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 I, I think if I look at the next personally, if I look at the next ten years, I think that the thing that is going to define um, success is about what that user customer experience actually feels like, looks like. Mm. Um, you know, software itself is, is largely commoditized. It's cheap to produce. You can knock it out. It's not very. It's not very expensive. The, the consequences of getting wrong are not very big. Um, but the, the 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 how we deliver delight, mm. how we receipt bank, is a te as a technology partner to our accounting customers around the world. How we use technology, the two their expertise as accountants uh, and financial advisors. How we use their expertise, our technology to deliver something that is distinctive and original and just simply feels better, feels more relevant, feels more effortless. The word I like is effortless. I don't like, I don't like automation. I don't think the world is really comfortable with robots and automation, whatever. But if I said to you, we are going to make whatever it is that you're doing effortless, it's like, yes, that feels great. I want effortless. Effortless is what I want. And I want, the software to do it for me. I want the technology to do things that I couldn't do before for me. I want things that I used to do, which I don't really enjoy doing, time consuming and a pain in the neck. I want the software to do that. So how you shape the, the, ex, the professional qualifications, the professional expertise of the accounting 
of the accounting, accounting practices, large and small, are all over the world. How, you, how we as the primary technology supplier to them shape that uh, small business uh, practice experience and deliver real-time financial data, real-time benefits effortlessly seems to me to be the challenge. I love it. I can't wait. And I can't wait to watch your journey. All right, Alexis, um, I want to thank you for your time. You've been amazing. I would love to carry this on, but I'm very respectful of your time. The one thing that you can't get away with, and none, no, none of our guests on our shows get away with it, is that we always uh, ask right at the end of every podcast episode to every guest, say, if you could give one piece of advice, one piece only, to an entrepreneur who is just starting out now, with their idea, uh, whether it's an app idea, whether it's a business that they want to go on in general, what one piece of advice would you give them? It's a difficult one. So this is literally day one. Day one. <laughs> can, I, can, we, can we scroll forward to day 365? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure, why not? That'll make a change. I got, ter I got, I got terrific. Good. Well, I mean, the, the simple answer is, you know, just do it. I mean, that, yeah, I love know, that one. <laughs> that's... The, the advice for day one is just do it. There isn't, don't think, don't, you know, just do it. <laughs> and you will, you will find out, you know, and learn and listen and learn. But the, when, when, when your business is a little bit, a little bit more, a little bigger, mm -hmm. um, one of the things, um, it's very easy to say yes, okay? It's very easy to say yes. Um, so, so the salesman comes into the uh, and, and talks to the technical team. He says, uh, "You know, we need this this feature." And they go, "Go, okay, all right, okay, well, we got it. We'll write it down, like whatever." But, but that's a very good example of 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 how you are that that transaction just committed some of the company's time and money. Okay, yeah. and. And as a as a chief executive or, or or whatever of of a business, I would urge you urge you to your default position should be no. Your default position should be no because as soon as you say yes, mm. it commits you to spending time that you don't have and money that you don't have. So saying yes, you are making. You know, the, the challenge is, by the way, when you, when you then go and raise, raise some money, mm. you've actually got a bit of money, it's very easy to say yes. And that's the wrong answer as well. <laughs> but it's even more, but, it, but in many ways, the consequences of that are hidden because you can't really, because you have the money. What is particularly dangerous is when you start to dilute your effort, your, your resources, your resource, when you start to dilute your resources by spreading them out across random projects that you've said yes to that all need funding and, and and as the chief executive as the founder as the owner you have got to be absolutely clear what the priority is and when and and unless something time and money actually t moves you in that direction then the answer is always 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 no just because it's a good idea doesn't take you necessarily where you want to go. It may be a terrific idea, but interestingly enough, not where we're going. It might be relevant at some point in the future. We should definitely bear it in mind. But if you as the leader, if you think your job is to say yes, you have failed. 
Your job is to say no, because you do not have unlimited time. You certainly don't have uh, unlimited money. That All right, so two pieces, of, two pieces of advice for the price of one. That is one of the best pieces of advice I've ever heard. Okay, well, good. Ever. Super. It's got me thinking now about some things I've suggested. <laughs> um, as you can see, my, nobody can see it because they're listening in the podcast, but as you can see, my personal whiteboard is filled with things, um, which I'm probably after this call just going to get some nail polish remover and just wipe the whole thing off. Um, and I'm, I'm not kidding when I say that. I'm going to put it on, I'll, I'll put it on my Instagram, but um, Alexis, this has been amazing. Uh, I want to thank you for your time and I, I want to acknowledge you for everything you've done in, the, in, this, in this podcast and everything you've done to, to come up with those lessons and the education that you can provide entrepreneurs and people listening in right now um, because I'm in no doubt they're going to draw a lot of inspiration. And also, again, thank you for your time and everything that you've done in, your, in business because these are lessons that you've given me personally as well that I can take away and execute immediately after this call. Um, and I've taken, I've, I've taken a whole bunch of notes. Um, so I, I want to thank you for that. And it's an absolute pleasure to have had you on. Well, Aman, you know where to find me. I'm always happy to, um, you know, uh, when in 2010, stroke 11, when we started, Michael and I, um, we would reach out to people, you know, cloud, SaaS. Um, these were relatively new terms. It was a, you know, wasn't widely widely understood, and we would reach out to people with questions that we had. And um, I have to say, one of the really extraordinary things was just how remarkably generous people were with their time, with their expertise, and with their knowledge. And certainly, I I vowed is probably too strong a word, but I made a mental note to myself that in the event uh, that people asked for advice or guidance or whatever that I would try and that I would try and re repay the generosity that uh, so many people showed us back in in 2010 and 11 and, and that is essentially the reason why I'm sitting here right now is directly as a result of that and I hope I hope very much you know people you or anybody else for that matter you know you know where to find me um, and I'm happy to try and uh, happy to try and help um, but by the same token, I hope that people, when they themselves have stories to tell and perhaps insights to share, that they will also take uh, a responsibility to share those insights with, with people. Uh, just simply hiding, you know, in, in behind um, or, or trying to, uh, trying to, what's the word, uh, uh, um, uh, um, encircle those ideas and protect them, um, guard them against anybody else. Ultimately, your ability to come up with new ideas, ultimately your ability to engage in a conversation and learn something is basically driven by your, what, what are you prepared to put into the pot? So I hope that your, your listeners, when, when they themselves have stories to share, that they will find forums to do so. Amazing. Thank you so much. And for everyone listening in, uh, we will, I hope you guys had a, a whole bunch of value from this episode. I certainly did. And uh, we'll see you on the next one. Guys, thank you so much for listening in. I really hope you enjoyed that episode. In case you missed my earlier message, I announced that our App Accelerator program is now available completely free of charge. Our online course, which teaches you the exact 10-step system that anyone can use to help create their own app without any experience. Learn how to get investment for your app, how to get people downloading it, the secrets to creating a winning app idea, plus all the guidance, resources, and expertise you'll ever need to launch your own successful app startup. 
So if you're sitting on an app idea and feel a bit stuck on how to get started, then you need this free course. Head on over to appstarterguide.com to get started. That's appstarterguide.com to get started. I promise you won't find anything else like it. Until then, I'll see you on the next episode.